Hi, I'm Lavinia. And I'm Millie. And this is Offbeat on Air. We are on a mission to break our bubble and go beyond L&D borders. We want to connect to the outer world and seek inspiration from different people. People trying to achieve similar goals as ours, but in other circumstances with different skills, tools and mindsets. Offbeat on Air is here to inspire you. We will learn how scientists solve problems, how professional athletes think of performance, and how surgeons approach the learning process. In a nutshell, in each episode, we will connect to great minds in order to infuse new perspectives in our lives as learning professionals. Today, me and Lavinia had the pleasure to unpack a completely new field of architecture and construction. We had this immense opportunity to learn and get inspired by Moin Nodeh. He's a founder and a CEO of Biotonomy. This is a global company that integrates the intelligence of nature in architecture and construction project. His story is very inspiring. He is the lead architect at Biotonomy and specializes in creating innovative solutions throughout a holistic combination of ancient, modern and biological design principles. His vision is for nature's intelligence to become a natural part of the way we design and build our future societies. So join us and get inspired. Welcome to Offbeat on Air, Moin. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I'm, I'm always good. <laughs> How is your day so far? Really good, really productive. Fridays are, are always good. <laughs> yeah. Likewise, likewise. So we're recording this this podcast on a Friday evening. We are jumping into the weekend. But before that, yeah, we're just going to learn your whole story, hopefully. And we already learned a lot from you the last time we met. So can you just tell us for who's listening? Because I met you personally and I was so impressed with your background and everything that you're doing right now. And I immediately thought that I should have you with Millie on Offbeat on Air. Can you tell us a bit about your background, where you're coming from, and yeah, what brought you to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So if I go all the way back from the moment when, when I was introduced to this planet, I already at, at a really early age, when I was two years old, I had to, with my family, we had to immigrate out of Iran, where I was born, was born, because of a war. So I, I was I was born in a time of war, and I grew up on an immigration camp in Sweden, and I kind of grew up in between the East and the West, basically in Europe and Middle East. And that always got me to see things from different perspectives. I, I got to see, you know, life in Iran, which is, there's not a lot of freedom and a lot of poverty and conflicts. And then I got to see life in Sweden, which is very safe and, and comfortable but very cold, just, just to be clear on that. And that always put me in a mind state of, of questioning things. Already, like from a young age, I had, I had just a cloud of questions in my head. I just could not understand why, you know, nine years old in one part of the world would have to, you know, be on the streets and try to, you know, beg for money and wash cars on the streets while nine years old in Sweden would, you know, have a very comfortable lives and playing video games. And, and I, I was brought up in between these two. So I, I always question things. And I also got to see that the ancient history of Iran when I was young, that's something that my family was very proud about and they would always tell me stories about it. So I grew up with a big passion for ancient civilizations and especially architecture and construction. That was always like as a kid when I was walking the streets in Iran, I would always just get stuck and just just stare at these buildings. And so as I grew up, I, I kind of built that dream in my head that I wanted to, to build buildings like that. 
that really fascinated me. And I, I had this big dream because the pyramids in Egypt is always, you know, when it comes to ancient civilization, it's a central focus thing. And I always had the dream to one day to go and visit it. And when I was 16, I, I managed to convince my parents to allow me to go on my first trip to Egypt while all my friends were, were going, convincing their parents to go on party islands. I just wanted to go to Egypt. And yeah, that, that, that was a really life-changing experience for me. I've, I've never had such an experience in my life. When, when I first time walked into one of these pyramids all by myself. And, and it's funny because the way I entered, there's many different entries, but the way I entered one of these pyramids is that you have to crawl. Like it, it's such a small entry. So you have to crawl for like almost 10, 15 minutes. And there's a lot of things happening in your mind uh, as you're crawling through this dark tunnel almost and and most people wouldn't they would take you know a bigger entries but i was just so curious and after 10 15 minutes you enter this huge hall gigantic hall and you don't enter from the bottom you enter from the middle and you just like just the architect and the 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 how that hall was designed it just affected me like every cell of my body was was in shock and in like complete ecstasy like I was holding myself from 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 tears running down my eyes, but I, I didn't understand why. It was just so powerful. So that really, that experience really put me, I was already growing up a very silent kid. Like my, my mom would always, you know, mention that because I had so many questions and I didn't know who to ask them. But this experience even made me more silent. So I, I, I tried to explain to some of my friends and family, but everyone just thought I, I, I'm going crazy. I even questioned myself many times, you know? But anyway, it, it was inspiring to me. I like that feeling of joy and whatever it was, it, it was something I wanted to understand more. And at this age, you know, I'm 16 year old. I don't really understand about, you know, the, the spiritual dimension of, of life and all of this. So that really made me decide that, you know, I, I wanna design and build. So naturally I look at my options in the world and I go for architecture and construction. I think, okay, if I, if I learn this, then I can, you know, start building and designing. But little did I know in architectural school and engineering, they don't teach you how to build pyramids. They, <laughs> they, they teach you how to build you know, conventional skyscrapers and things like that. And I was so ignorant that I was like, okay, maybe it's coming, maybe it's coming. But <laughs> it, it never really came, you know. I, On the other side, I completely realized that it was, I mean, I don't mean to speak bad about it. Obviously, I learned a lot from it, but a lot from it was a lot of brainwashing. It was a lot of like, the, you know, the leading companies in the industry would come to our schools and like, you know, brand themselves. And there was a lot of brand, you know, use our products, you know, use our services like that. Anyway, so when I graduated, I, I get the opportunity to work on the largest construction project in the world in Dubai. And I was like, okay, maybe this is like the modern pyramid. Maybe, you know, maybe this <laughs> is it. So and working in Dubai, like as an architect and engineer, it's like a dream for, for most people because they do crazy projects over there that goes beyond the, the, the normal. So, you know, on my way there, I kind of thought, you know, I made it, you know, I, I, I'm going for my dream job. And little did I know that was not exactly or at all what, what I, I, I was expecting. I quickly, you know, the, the, the first months, I completely started to realize the, the dirty side of the industry. I got to see the slavery. I got to see the injustice of how workers from poor countries were imported and treated extremely, extremely bad. You know, 
it, it, nothing of it was aligned with my values, how I grew up, but you know, how you treat each other. And I quickly realized there's a big gap between, you know, the rich people that I was working for and the poor people. And there, there was many different situations where, you know, I, because naturally for me, the workers, you know, I, I see them as friends. That's how I grew up. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I would spend time and speak to them as friends and, you know, I would give them rides in my car. And, and then I got on the other side questioned, you know, by, by the rich people, you know, why, why I'm, I'm getting close to these people, you know, these are animals, you should not, you know, become, uh, create relationship with these people and blah, 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 blah. Eventually, I realized that, you know, the, the, the workers uh, on this construction site were not getting paid. You know, I, I was fooled to think always that the, their payments were delayed, but eventually I got promoted into the office and I, one night I stayed extra and I started investigating the documents that I realized I was not supposed to investigate. And I clearly saw the contracts with the workers and how it's all built up in a way that they wouldn't get paid. Basically, they all signed contracts that you know, none of them can read. You know, these are farmers coming, you know, from poor countries and all, they all signed contracts where it clearly says, if my work is not valued as good enough, the contractor has the right to cut my salary, basically. And, you know, 98% of companies do that. So that was a tipping point when I really realized like, look, this is not just, you know, my boss being very unfair. This is how this whole thing is set up. And I decided that because this was keeping me from sleeping, you know, this was really like going against my values, like my gut, my intention was keep telling me that this is wrong, this is wrong. But on the other side, like I was just, they were just pouring money at me, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was making amounts that I couldn't even dream of and I was paying no taxes on it. That's how kind of Dubai is built up. And so I decided that I'm going to leave. I'm not going to contribute to this. And basically all my friends and family, they were all, they all thought I was an idiot for, for, you know, leaving my job, such a good opportunity, such a good job, you know, from outside, you know, it it looks great from outside. But anyway, something was really pulling me and I I just took the decision, I'm going to leave. And I remember the day when, you know, we finalized the project and everyone was so happy and cheering and there was champagne and this and that. And I was just standing in the background, just like becoming that child again with so many questions in my head and just really questioning, like, what are we doing? Like, where's where's humanity going towards, you know? This is really not the direction where we should go. So I, the only thing I realized at that moment is that I don't want to go in this direction. I, I don't know where, mm-hmm. what direction I want to go, but this is not the one. And see, that's that's many times in life, like you realize that, you know, like you get the gut feelings, like this is not right, I shouldn't do it. But you you don't you don't turn around because first you want to find the right way. Like what's you you want to find another way. You know, you want to have a plan B or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even bother, you know, like I have no plan. I'm just going to exit this. And as soon as I exit, everything started to make sense. Everything started to, obviously, there was some gap and some time, you know, where I was questioning what I was doing. But eventually, everything started to fall in place. Like, I eventually realized that, okay, I'm not even controlling this, you know. Like, everything was put together for me, and I basically came in contact with people who were already changing the direction of how we're designing and developing. And I went back for my passion and I started researching about ancient civilization again. And I started, when I went deeper into it, I really realized that, wow, like these people, they were so connected with nature that they they built all their buildings, all their infrastructure based on the infrastructure of nature. You know, nature has evolved on this planet for 
you know, 3.8 billion years. We humans, we've only been here for 200,000 years, the modern human. So we're nothing in, in, in compared to evolution. We're nothing. If you compare it to, to nature, we're just a sect of what nature is. So, and these people, they really respected nature. They really understood that the infrastructure of nature, you know, how nature has already developed a power plant, you know, like the sun is a power plant. If you really understand the sun, it's a power plant for all life. It's designed for all life to thrive on. Uh, we completely have ignored that. We've created our own power plant, which is based on ancient fossil fuels and, and burning, you know, fossil fuel and creating pollution. You know, the, the, the natural world has created really complex water system. Through rain, it, it's able to transport water from one part of the world to the other side of the world. While we humans, we're, we're, we're using pipes under the ground that keeps breaking and freezing. And it's nowhere to the complexity of what nature has evolved. But we don't see it. It's like right in front of our eyes, but we don't see it. So I, I started to realize like all these intelligence that exist in nature. And I started to learn how ancient people were aware of it and how they integrated that in their design. And I, once I realized that I can I became completely obsessed with the concept of using nature's intelligence of developing our future cities. And so when I realized this was the moment I, I understood that you can use biological methods to create autonomous buildings. And that was the moment when bioautonomy was born. That's a combination of biology and autonomy. It's about how we use nature, biology, to basically develop autonomous life, where we're not dependent on, on governments and companies to provide our basic needs. Like today, all of us are working, uh, you know, some five days a week, some people seven days a week, in order to have a comfortable shelter in order to have water, in order to have food, in order to have sanitation. We're paying for this while all of this is provided in nature. If we understand this, all life, like in, in nature, there's between like 100 to 300 million species. They've all figured out how to live on this planet peacefully in harmony with nature by using the intelligence of nature while we humans are the only species that have completely ignored, we used to know about it. That's the amazing part of the ancient people. We used to be really connected, but then we, just through a natural process, you know, this is the, nothing evil that has been planned. When the industrial revolution happened, we kind of became so obsessed with technology and creating energy that mm -hmm. we forgot all the wisdom. So we just created producing technology, industrialization, globalization, and we're all part, you know, even me, this, this is not a blame game. We're all part of the problem. And now we're realizing the consequence out of it. And now we're, we're really in, in a tipping point. We're like, oh, we have to come together. We all have to be part of the solution and, and, and solve it. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are so many fields where this is happening because to draw a parallel to you know, your reflection so far, I think it's kind of the same in learning, right? Dozens of years ago, there was no classroom where you had to sit and you know listen to the teacher and the teacher would have all the authority in your learning process. There, there was no such thing. There, there was more social learning there was more learning through storytelling and and then when industrialization happened just like you mentioned you know because we had to get out these humans that would do the same thing in a certain time and so on the the educational system was invented as we know it right now but things are changing because technology is progressing so much and things are changing and the demands of the people right now are so different to when where they were like even 20 years ago and I, I do have a, a curiosity now because 
something we're struggling with when it comes to learning is that people got used to, you know, how we learned in the last couple of years. And I imagine that they also got used to working in these houses where there's, you know, electricity coming from the government and where they pay their bills to someone and, and so on. And I do wonder how do you make the, the shift toward you know, what, what you're doing right now and what you're proposing right now, how you're working with, with your clients for that. Yeah, so I, I quickly realized that, you know, there's, you know, it, it for, for myself, you know, it took many years to understand this intelligence that exists in nature. And my struggle for a long time was like, how do I make this digestible for people to understand? Communication was very important. Like I... I tried many times different ways of communicating this concept in different ways. And I kept changing it and I kept refining it. And, and eventually I started to realize what makes sense for people, what, what's digestible. And I also realized that a lot of people was, was telling me a lot of time, yeah, but you know, the government doesn't care, you know, don't waste your time, no one cares everyone's greedy. And I was like, I don't agree. It's just people don't know. Like, people don't know if they understand the value of it, they would, they, they would rather choose, you know, to live peacefully with nature. So I realized quickly, like, I need to integrate the educational aspect into this in for my clients. And even for the public sector, because eventually they are the decision makers. And how can we educate them as well to, to create the right policies and allow for this happen? So I, I basically had to start instead of like typically how architects work is that you go listen to your client and then start designing based on what they want. But I would obviously the people that approach me are already people that are open to, to make a shift and make a transformation. So I would already, from the beginning, basically make a whole process of teaching them about what this concept is, but not like shoving it, you know, in their face. I would, I would kind of, I, I developed something called a feasibility study where I kind of study the, the needs of what you want, study your climate, and I kind of integrated education in that aspect without them really understanding that I was teaching them about the concept of nature as we were going. So eventually when we came to the point we had to take decisions for you know, the shape of the building, I wouldn't have to argue with you that it should have this shape because that's how it works in nature. The client would actually tell me that, yeah, we should do that, that it's connected, you know, to the sun and the depth and the sun hours and the angles, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Because in the beginning, there was a lot of, I had to like always argue, like, you know, you cannot just make your house look however you want, because, you know, you need to stick to the proportions of what works in nature, because this building is going to operate within the laws of physics. So a lot of education integrated in the process. And which funny enough, has turned into one of our big, biggest engine of revenue. So education is like, we started off as architecture and construction company, but the, the need and demand from people who wants to learn this was so much that we basically became, you know, we just opened our educational program. And now when we do projects, we have students from all over the world and you'll be surprised, like what kind of people show up. Like we have everything from teenagers to like grandma and grandpas with complete different backgrounds. And it's crazy because when it comes to construction, you know, the, the stereotype is men, right? You would think just men shows up. But the thing is, the, the common connection with all of us is nature. So all these people, they really just want to live a life in harmony with nature. And they come and they realize, here's the thing, they realize that, you know, building your own house or as in nature, we would call it your own nest or dwelling exists in all species. All, like, look at all birds. All birds are builders. 
They all build their dwellings. They all build. So instantly, it, it exists in all of us to, to build something comfortable for ourselves and for our families. And when you integrate the concept of, of using you know, the intelligence of nature, it even resonates more with people. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it's beautiful. I'm here silent listening to your story. And what you're now, what you just said now, I think also this idea of you becoming an autonomous must be appealing to people, right? How can you actually, without depending on 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 so many other things that we are now, you know, so linked and and you just like turn on the the light without even thinking what is behind, where does it go, who are you paying? We don't question a lot of things, and that that is something I want to go back. You you mentioned that you have a lot of questions around you and if I follow you if I would be your like partner on your kind of journey to to where you are right now how is this formative for you meaning you spend a lot of time learning and reflecting on it can you give us a bit insight on how did this reflection time shape your journey and and got you where you are how did those moments shape your story so I, I came to a point, you know, the, the moment I realized like all, all these solutions that we're trying to solve with, you know, heavy mechanical and technological thing, where the moment I realized that nature already solved all of those, and I realized it was like right all this time, it was right in front of my eyes and our eyes, and I couldn't see it, I realized the first thing I need to do is to uninstall everything I've left. And that was that, that was a process because you know, one part of you, you're like, yeah, but I invested five years in education and I went to university, I got my diploma, you know, and another part of you is just not, you know, realizing that was all just brainwashing. So it it it, it took me a time to to really convince myself that I need to uninstall everything I learned. And I started to do that. And basically, once you do that, and that goes back to what you were mentioning earlier about, you know, how after the industrial industry, how we are the way our education has changed, you know, we've been just stuffed with so much information in our heads. So I realized as I was uninstalling everything, I realized that I was actually paying more and more attention to what was in front of me. Mm-hmm. And the more I paid attention to what was in front of me and then around me, the more I would be able to pick up from nature and learn these things. So it's like kind of maybe you can compare it as a cleaning process, you know, <laughs> where you just empty, empty your mind. Because if you have too much information in your mind, you know, your mind is just occupied with processing these things. And you're you're not really able to pay attention to the way we're designed. You'll, you'll be surprised how capable we are of paying attention to something. And children is actually a very interesting, they're very inspiring when it comes to paying attention. You know, you can, if you sometimes look at kids and they're just like, they're like, you know, hitting something, you know, and, and just the noise of that thing they're hitting is just, they're paying so much attention to that process and what's happening right there that they, they forget everything else. You know, they're just so into it because their minds are not yet filled with so much unnecessary information, you know. And I, I also realized, you know, we've our conventional way of educating is just focusing on one part of intelligence, which is information. You know, there's many parts of information in our body. You know, we have genetic intelligence, which is, you know, information and knowledge that's being passed through our genetics. That's in there, you know, that's why, you know, my nose look like my grandparents. This is also intelligence within our, it's like biological intelligence. But we're only using information in our mind as intelligence. So we we just stuffing our children in school with so much information and it's it's blocking them to use other kinds of intelligence. So 
now today that that you know that we're doing projects all over the world and people come to me and, and come and tell me yeah i'm an architect i have 20 years of experience of this and that and like for me that's that's like you have too much information in your head like you like experience is good <laughs> but you're really brainwashed because it's my experience when i work with people who think they have a lot of knowledge and they know what they're doing they're the hardest people to uninstall because really every, like that goes to everyone in our team everyone that enters realize like the first process is uninstall everything you you learned and start relearning based on the principles of nature before moving on we wanted to take a short break to mention the sponsor of this episode inential now, many tech companies have received feedback that their employees are unsatisfied with their L&D opportunities, which could result in increased turnover and missing business goals. Chances are that you got the same signs. And there are many ways to prevent that from happening in the future, and one of them is exploring what Inential offers. Inential is a learning platform that's helping tech companies make their L&D processes, such as personal development plans, leadership development, and impact analysis, more effective and easier to set up. The secret is in their simple user experience and close customer support that feels like they're an extension of your team. So if you're ready to make a change, go to Inential.com and book an intro call with them. Tell them you came from Offbeat on Air and you'll be happy you did. Oh yeah. And and I mean we we all we do is work with adults with they come with a lot of different softwares installed over the years and experience so yeah, definitely bringing in new ideas or different perspectives is quite an art. And just to maybe kind of follow again I I'm fascinated by your story so I'm trying to also dig a little bit deeper there you kind of connect very different worlds, you know, biology and then engineering. I mentioned even genetics. So it's really one symbiosis of disciplines. So for me, it sounds like that you also get a lot inspired by touching different fields and learning from them. How do you do that? How do you make space? How does that learning path looks like? I'm really curious to hear. Well, well, that that goes a little bit with what I was saying. Process when when I was uninstalling and unlearning everything in my head. One big part of that was to disconnect all my identifications. You know, so at this point of life, I I've collected so much identification. You know, it starts with I'm a man. Okay, now I have to behave a certain way because I'm a man. Then you have you know I'm I'm from Middle East. You know, now you have this, the national identity. I'm an architect. Now you have a professional identity. And then within that, so you start collecting all these identities, and now you have to protect all these identities. You have to live up to them. So now you're all, you're all wasting your time on, on proving something that you're really not. You just built all of that in, in your own head. So once I stopped identifying myself with all of this, then nothing stopped me from, from learning about biology. Nothing stopped me from learning, you know, about physics. I, I was actually more curious. I didn't tell myself, because I hear this a lot, you know, in, in my work, like, oh, I'm just an architect, you know, or I'm just this, like, no, you're not. Like you're capable of so much more. Why do you limit yourself to that? And that is required in what we do is that like we, we have this culture within our team. Like we don't like, yeah, we have we have our titles, but that's just to operate in the business world. But outside that, like we're all doing everything. We're helping out with everything. Everyone needs to learn. Like everyone working here needs to understand nature. So you need to learn about biology. Not We're not forcing it to you. But the whole, the whole problem is that we've been so detail-oriented and separated everything. You know, we've developed this world with, you know, this part of white people live like this, black people like this, brown people like this, and poor people like this, rich people like this. And it's all like so separated. But you look at nature, nothing works like that. Nothing is separated. Everything is holistically designed. Everything is connected. 
Every single thing that is designed in nature is designed for the well-being of all life, right? There, there's a quote saying, you know, like rivers don't drink from their own water. Fruits do not eat their own fruits, right? So everything in nature is designed for other life. It, it's for living for others, right? So once you have this mind state, you, you really don't limit yourself. It's also going back to identity is also very interesting with ancient cultures. You know, ancient cultures would, in an early stage, give children a cosmos identity, make them realize that they're part of a cosmos. You know, and if you have that identity that you're, you're part of something big, you don't limit yourself of learning. So I'm always curious. That's also very fundamental. Like, going, allowing your excitement to, to drive you. And, and when you do that, you go, you'll, you'll see, you're not just excited about one thing. You know, there's several things that excites you, you know, and, and you go for it. Don't limit yourself, basically. Oh, that, that's wonderful. Oh. Lavinia, I, <laughs> I see that, that you already have a question <laughs> or just a comment. Yeah, no, I, I, was, I was just thinking about our podcast, right? Because we, we identified so much with learning and development that at some point we felt that it was too much and we wanted to get out of it and talking to, to people like you, Moin, as well. And yeah, oh, that's so inspiring. I wanted to actually, I think, as a, as a final big question that I think both Millie and I had was about this idea of the feasibility study. It sounded very interesting. Can you give up give us a bit more details about how you do that? Like if you if you have a process, if you have some steps that you're following, how do you do first like a feasibility study and how do you combine that with educating your your clients? Yeah. So basically the way it's structured is that it, it comes from you, you know once again like we're 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 just to clarify for all the listeners, you know, the, the product that we develop is an autonomous buildings that is operating with the intelligence of nature or with the infrastructure of nature, to put it that way. So when we design this building, it's very fundamental that we completely understand the ecosystem that we're designing it for. Because every part of the world, you have different climate conditions. You have different soil conditions. So we really need to understand the conditions of nature where this building is going to be built. The way we approach it is that this is not just a building. This is we're, we're designing and developing a living organism. This thing breathes and it, 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 it contains life. In, you know, it collects water, it, it harvests energy naturally. So it's just like any other organs. So in order to, to build the, the perfect uh, organism that can really survive in its environment, we really need to understand nature. So a big part of our feasibility study is to study the conditions of nature in that specific area. So we do that both based on science, but we also do it based on what I was saying before, like beyond the human intelligence. Like when we go there, when I go to the land, uh, like, yes, we take certain measurements. We, we calculate the sun hours and angles and all of this, but we also look at the land. We observe, we pay attention to the land and we can see that one part of the land is going amazingly like nature is blooming right there and there's parts of the land where it's not blooming as much because just of the the way the ecosystem works there and we 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 try to convince the client that you know you should build on this part where you're not disturbing nature as much and so then in our study we collect all these data about the environment but then also many times when you're developing being at the house or a school there's many people involved that has a lot of needs so what we do is that we go through a whole interview process with every single one of them trying to understand you know really who these people are and how their 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 vision of of using this building what it is 
and on bigger scale projects, you know, it's 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 very different. You have so many, you can have over, you know, 50 different stakeholders that's gonna use this building and they all have different needs. So then we have this, so we have the environment, then we have the people. Okay, now we have to design something that is functioning within the environmental conditions, but also respecting the needs of the people. And, and that's a very interesting process to do many times, you know, to try to design something that, that holistically works for everyone. And, and you know, we, in our interviews, we, we ask certain questions that you, you, some people might wonder, like, why do you care about that? You know, like, what does that have to do with architecture? Or Can you give us an example? I'm I'm curious. <laughs> I, I mean, like their their relationship with nature. You know, if I sit with you and I ask you, you know, what's your what's your relationship like? How how does nature, you know, um, enhance your life? You know, and you'd be surprised. Some people just like sometimes tell you, you know, certain things that you know. I I, I really like sitting under a tree is like so comfortable for me and like. Things like that, you know, like details like that you pick up from everyone and understand. But that's also because first I'm trying to understand where are their mind states when it comes to nature? You know, how, how like when it comes, when we go into the education aspect, like I, I'm trying to identify, like, where do I have to start? So then we, we explain these are the condition in the feasibility, these are the condition of your climate. These are all the needs like, of the people. These are the top things that people have chosen as most important. And then we go in, in, in the feasibility study and like we do it in a way that it's sometimes it's difficult to try to get 50 people and educate all of them one by one. So we integrate the educational aspect in the feasibility study because we know all the stakeholders are going to read it. So we have a whole section of where we explain how nature works and then how are we going to make this building to work with nature? So then we put it all together and we send it out. And then, you know, we bring everyone together again to get their feedback. And that's also very, always very interesting, like the questions people have uh, at this stage. Like if you really orchestrate this really good, like um, it, it really becomes a fun process. Everyone also feel involved and included. That, that's that's very fundamental to to have an inclusive approach of people. You know, people really appreciate that. That you oh, like you you thought about that. I like to to sit under trees, so you placed you know those trees and you created seating areas, and this is connected with that. You know, yeah, I, I cared about what you like as well, but I also care about what nature likes. So the end result is to build a space where humans and nature thrive as well, where we took the same amount of respect of nature's needs and the people's needs. <laughs> that place is naturally, you know, connecting people and nature. Mm -hmm. Even if you yeah. want it or not, just by being occupying that space, you will naturally become conscious about how nature works. And you will also naturally become conscious, conscious about how amazing nature is. Yeah, that's that's so nice. I'm just thinking about how we also, when we design learning programs, we're not designing for individuals that live in void, right? They are part of a system and we should be aware of the system where they, they're in and their needs to build that program. But we so often go into maybe just individual needs without without taking or, or without listening to the system or without looking into the system. So that's such a powerful yeah lesson I, I remembered. I, I think I have one more question because you mentioned at first that you're you're lucky enough that in most cases the clients that come to you are already educated and they want that change. And I do wonder how would you go by if you know, you would go towards people. How would you, you know, sell the concept so that they understand what you're selling? Because we are very often put in, in those shoes where, yeah, we just have to, to push some 
practices that are healthy when it comes to learning and behavior change and so on? How, how would you do that? Or if you ever had a chance to do it already? No, absolutely. I mean, that's a great question because, you know, in the beginning, you know, we just had people reaching out to us. Like, I love this concept. I want to do this. Okay. But then we came to a point where, you know, I was like, we really need to scale this up. Now we're ready. We're going to reach out to people. You know, so that's your question. How, how do you go about when you reach out to people? And, you know, not everyone cares about nature. At least, you know, I, I know deep inside everyone does because it's our home. How can you not care about your home? But not a lot of people are aware of it. So we don't approach them with, with the environmental aspect, with the nature aspect, basically. What do, you know, the most people care about in a, in a world that we've developed today is money. Money is not the only thing, but, but it's a big thing, right? We've developed this, this world where money has been in the central of everything. So it's very fundamental for every single person, no matter if you're rich or you're poor. So if I can improve your financial situation, your ears will be open. So basically, we realize that we need to, and this is this goes back to once again me just really questioning, questioning, questioning. Why are not more and more people just seeing the benefits of environmental projects? Why are people not just doing it? Why are always economical projects always winning over environmental projects. It's been, it's been like that and it's still like that. And I realized that as long as these two are competing against each other, economy is gonna always win. That's just the case it is. So I realized that the, the, a powerful product to sell would be to merge economy with ecology. So how can you make environmental projects with high financial profits. And as we were refining, you know, we didn't achieve autonomous buildings overnight. You know, we, we learned the process of, you know, what it takes to harvest water, produce drinkable water, what it takes to make buildings produce 100% of their own electricity. You know, we went through trial and error, but now we achieved it to a point where we are reducing 95% of people's utility bills. So that means I'm offering you a product that reduces your utility bills, which is your biggest expenses in your life. Your water, your, most people don't think about it because it's included in your rent. You know, how people who own buildings think about it because they pay water separate, they pay energy separate. But if you're paying rent, you're paying for all of that. And if I tell you that I can reduce that with 95%, will you listen to me? If, Hell if yeah. <laughs> so I already got you there. I already got you there. And that's my, that's my selling point for you. I'm going to reduce 95% of your utilities. You know, whatever happens, if there's, there, if there's a war, unfortunately, you look at what's happening in Ukraine right now. You know, there's... There's areas that hasn't even been bombed, but people are evacuating because they have yeah. no water. You cannot live in your house without water. You cannot use the bathroom. You cannot take a shower. Mm -hmm. So you're also safer. Not only are you reducing 95% of your utilities, but you're safer in terms of conflict, in terms of, you know, an earthquake happening that destroys the power plant. You, you're producing your own heating and cooling. You're not dependent on that, you know? The only thing that would take you out is if the laws of physics start, stops working, which has <laughs> never happened so far. You, know, you cannot argue with nature. It's just working, you know? So I'm not only selling you, you know, good finance, but I'm also selling you resilience, which is very fundamental in, in the time we're living at. Yeah. And I believe this is this is not only in architecture, you know, we need to learn to do this like in social projects as well. You know, how mm -hmm. can we make social projects also have financial benefits? Because we have mm -hmm. this mindset that, oh, like right now I'm involved in many social projects and some people are really like, oh, but it's a social project. We're not allowed to make money. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to change that. Like, no, we need to make money in order to keep this project long-term financially sustainable. That's also important. Mm -hmm. so there, there's this, you know, some people have this really hate for money 
because you know so a lot of people point out you know it's the evil of the world mm-hmm. this is what has brought then on the other side you have a lot of people loving money you know? but we shouldn't really have any emotions related to that it's just it's just a, a tool for us mm-hmm. yeah yeah i can tell you that we can see the same when it comes to learning because as learning and development professionals we are here because we love this idea of helping people of supporting their growth or of you know helping them reach their potential building this environment that's nurturing which at times you know it it ended up conflicting somehow in our industry with the idea of helping the business making money and you're you're right and we we keep having this discussion in L&D as well when selling our projects inside our organizations we should learn how to have this language this business language revenue profit and so on to make sure that we capture the uh, years of of our stakeholders the side benefit of helping individuals is there like we're not losing that but we might even get more investment for for a project to do that. So yeah, it it makes complete sense. And it's already Friday evening. We we can close it here. We just wanted to say thank you so so much for for agreeing to talk to us. It it's truly inspiring what what you're doing. And yeah, I already I will remember you years from now if I ever want to build a house, which I do. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm going to get there. I'm going to definitely reach out. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank wonderful you. work. And and best of luck with spreading this, you know, and influencing more and more people with these ideas. I think it's wonderful, you know, just uh, everything that you're doing and also with the intention that you're doing. So really inspired by by everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and and thank you for what you're doing as well. Like I do want to I do want to emphasize on how important people like you have been for us because what you're doing is you're helping to amplify our voices and that means a lot and that's part of the whole ecosystem of of transformation you know like we need like you're you're doing your part of the transformation you know so thank you for that i I really (laughs) bow down for you thank you wonderful Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast, which was all about research and design practices in architecture. We hope you learned as much as we did and that you took this as a gentle nudge to reflect on which of Moin's practices you can adopt in your work as a learning and development professional. All our lessons learned are captured in the episode pod sheet you will find in the description of the episode. If you're looking for more resources, go ahead and subscribe to our newsletter or join us in the Offbeat Fellowship, where we facilitate social and practical learning, among others, to help you grow in your career. Create a happy day and never stop learning.